0: I can tell you that having had the privilege of five children who've gone through Little Footprints, I cannot speak highly enough of the program. And especially, Kathy, we love you since, since you've taken over. Little Footprints truly is the Lehigh University of preschools. <laughs> <laughs> that, um Thank you. For... <laughs> I, I just it was too too fun to throw past. Um, yes, my name is Ed Williams. I am a graduate of Lehigh University. More importantly, um, more importantly, I have the privilege of serving our church family as an elder. And as we're going through this uh, series today, we're in Ephesians three. This series on Ephesians, Ephesians three, and this is big. The whole book, and maybe in particular Ephesians 3, this is what you'd call, I would call, a desert island passage. You know the concept of a desert island album? You should say, oh, if you could go to a desert island and only take five albums, what would they be? Alvin and the Chipmunk? No. What would you take? What book would you take? This book, in this chapter, Ephesians 3, 1 Corinthians 15, Luke 15. If you could only take one chapter and read and meditate for the rest of your life, it might very well be this one that we're going to be looking at today. It is true, and let me affirm, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it accomplishes God's purpose. And yet, think of this sentence. I just finished memorizing the book of Leviticus Said a Baptist pastor, <laughs> never. <laughs> and I'm making it up. But Dave, Dave Hanchel's probably memorized as much scripture as anybody I know. Dave, Leviticus, top of the list. No, I, I tell you what, here, here's a little true story. When my parents were engaged, um, my father was broke because he was in school. And what's he going to get his fiance? for christmas. And so he had my mom sit down and open her bible and he recited to her word for word the book of Leviticus. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 Ephesians. My father memorized the entire book of Ephesians. Because as people come and they say, oh, the Bible, you believe the Bible, and they'll point to books like Leviticus or Judges, and there are tough, hard things in those books. How do you reconcile them? And the critic and the cynic says, well, what do you do with that? But then you come to a book like Ephesians, where even the most hard-hearted would say, oh, there's a part of me that I wish that that was true, but it's just too Pie in the sky, too wishful thinking that God would actually be like this. And I'll affirm with you, pie in the sky, it's, it's a lot of pie. But is it wishful thinking? And here we are in Ephesians 3, as Paul is going to both sum up what's come before and bring it to a height. And, and he's got the introduction. And, and we're going to look at this introduction very quickly, the high points. You see what I put in bold there? The Apostle Paul, as he's carrying on the book of Ephesians, you read, mystery, 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 mystery. A great mystery is being revealed that was hidden in God. And Paul, he's absolutely crackling with energy. This this passage is crackling with life. Crackling with life. Paul could hardly contain himself. The joy that he has of teaching and telling about this great mystery that's going to be revealed. And he also embeds, as he's talking about the mystery of what God is and what God is doing. Next slide. He talks about two things in particular that are all coming together. He talks about how the Gentiles and us, we are heirs together in Christ. Hm? Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you. Why is this such a why is this such a big deal? And Paul again here in Ephesians 3, it's all tied up as he's talking to us about it in Christ Jesus. And you might remember as as Dave introduced us in the book of Ephesians in Christ in the book of Ephesians Twenty-seven times the Apostle Paul writes in the Spirit and tells us that we are in Christ or in Him. Twenty-seven times, which is somewhat odd. Just one quick pause, because some people will say, well, yes, Jesus, He was a great teacher. And Jesus had many disciples. Well, Socrates... And Aristotle were great thinkers, great teachers, and they had disciples. Marx, he had disciples, millions of disciples. But no one would say, I'm in Marx, or I am in Aristotle. But to be in Jesus Paul says, in Jesus is the power and the joy and at the heart of all this mystery. So as we're talking about this, and Paul's talking about this mystery that he is so excited to do, what is the mystery? What is the mystery? And this is very real and practical. What are the questions the hard questions that are a mystery for you. For me. For us as humans. This isn't a time for tidy answers. And I'm going to preface what we're going to say today by saying, you're not going to get a tidy answer. Two hard questions. I don't know that we're meant to. But what are the hard questions and, and what are the mysteries? And I'm going to suggest as we Set a preface to what comes next. One of the very hard questions that legitimately is asked from broken hearts every day, millions and millions of broken hearts, is why? Why suffering? Why? And if we begin to discuss it, we say, well, you know, some people suffer for their own doing. Bring it on themselves. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And you see that all through the Bible. Adam, David, Judas, you, list could go on. But then others suffer because of what other people do. Uriah, Tamar, Paul, Jesus Himself. Which brings us to suffering, which the problem of evil. That's a hard question. That's that's a big mystery. But what's very interesting is I was meditating on this passage for today. I was reminded of Jesus himself raises that very question in a parable that's in all of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a parable that he tells a story of a father who makes a fantastic vineyard. And he gives the vineyard to, to husbandmen, to workers, and the workers pollute the whole environment with their evil, their greed, and they kill, and they abuse, and they defeat, and then he sends workers, and they kill, and they abuse, and they defeat, and finally the father says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This place is such a mess. This world is such a mess. I'm going to send my own son. Surely they will respect him. But in Jesus' parable, the men, they don't respect him. In fact, they take the son and kill him. And Jesus asks the question at the end of the parable, looking at all the evil that's occurred, and what shall be done to the men who killed the son? And that question, Jesus leaves hanging. The listeners hear, and they say, oh, well, they'll certainly be killed. Justice. But the reality is the problem of evil is a mystery. And there Jesus is directing it. But then I'm going to close with this claim. Sometimes the problem of suffering, it's not your fault. It's no one else's fault. It's just because life is hard. Life is hard. Why do we suffer? Why is there suffering? Why is life hard? But as we look to go and explain that, there's something else about suffering that I want to bring to your attention, is that my daughter, Rachel, said to me, Dad, my legs were burning. They hurt so badly. And I, as a good father, said, Congratulations, Rachel, that's wonderful. And at this point, you're going, what? And you see, Rachel is now, uh, dare I say, a varsity runner. I'm watching Hill's track team, cross-country team. And Rachel has given herself to training. And you see, part of what being an athlete is, when you make the decision, I am going to be an athlete, you are making the conscious decision, I am going to seek opportunities to suffer. I am going to seek opportunities to suffer and persevere. And this is why as a dad I say, Rachel, I'm very proud of you because she is learning what it is when the uncomfortable, when the discomfort comes to persevere through and embrace the suffering that leads to growth. There was a time when Sharon, my wife, had pain in her lower back. And so as a very thoughtful husband, I went and I started massaging her lower back, and Sharon very kindly and graciously turned to me and said, Ed, would you please not do that? <laughs> well, you see, Sharon was in the middle of labor with our first-born, Laura. And I don't know how many of you took Lamaze class, <laughs> but in Lamaze, I was taught, they taught you that the husband's job in Lamaze was we're responsible for breathing. <laughs> oh no, she stopped breathing. Oh, bad husband. <laughs> Ridiculous. And we we're responsible for massage. Does this ring any bells with any of you guys who took the class? We're responsible so that when the contraction came, you gave a massage. And that was fine during labor. But when labor came, and this is where they, I think they were trying to make husbands give us something useful to do. The definition of useless is the husband in the delivery room. Here's what you do. Here's what you do, husband. Try to just keep it together. Keep it together and don't distract from your wife. Got it? Got it but why why would Sharon ever why would any woman ever you know what's coming childbirth is painful but you endure the suffering why the lord jesus talks about it for the joy of life joy of life and what we're beginning to frame here is that it's not necessarily suffering that is the problem because suffering can lead to growth as an athlete, as a person, as character. Suffering can lead to new life and new birth. But there's something else, and this is the last point of this setup of where we're going here. And it's captured. it's been captured so many times throughout human history. But I want to read to you Something that I had just heard, and I don't want to mention the name because I don't want to distract at this moment, but there was a comedian being interviewed on the Conan O'Brien show. So two comedians. This is going to be funny. Kind of. Not really. Because often I'm going to suggest to you that comedians are people who often have the insight into the hard, absurd things of life and the way they communicate them, modern-day philosophers have done right. And this is what the conversation, I'm going to read it verbatim, and you can, you can YouTube it, just put Conan O'Brien cell phones. As Conan O'Brien asked, why don't you get your kids cell phones? The answer, they are toxic. <laughs> you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones are taking away. The ability to just sit there. That's being a human person. Because beneath everything in your life, there is that empty. That forever empty. And just that knowledge that it's all for nothing, and you're all alone, and it's all down there. And sometimes when things clear away, you're in your car, it starts to ascend. This sadness that life is tremendously sad. And just by being in it, by being you, that's why we text and drive. I look around, 100% of the people are texting and driving People are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone because it's so hard. Cue the left, Jack. As Solomon echoed back, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The great mystery that hangs over life is not what about suffering, but what about sufferings if it means nothing? What about my life if it means nothing? And I could string to you quote after quote after quote from celebrity celebrity like like trinkets adorning a sermon, but I don't want to do that because what we're hearing is the cry of the human heart. What matters? What really matters? No one cries like a mother cries. She never got to say goodbye to see the color in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt A mother's loss, a mother's cry, the tears of it. But what if the only thing that matters is here and we're gone? What if the sun explodes in a few million years and everything is gone? What if it truly is meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless? What the Apostle Paul is getting at here in Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery, mystery, mystery is not why is there evil on the earth, but why is there an earth? Not that why do we suffer, but why do we exist at all? That's the mystery between the, behind the mystery. Why are we here? And this is where the apostle Paul is taking this. And now I want to get to the Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I'm going to take your indulgence and get there by telling you our story. Our story, which you, many of you are familiar with. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? Well, a little over a year ago, Sharon and I had the privilege of finding out about a um, little girl who had been abandoned. And for 12 years... She had lived in an institutional orphanage and because of the way things work we were informed that because of her age she was about to hit a threshold in which she would be unadoptable and her life would forever be in that impoverished orphanage and so sharon myself and our family we prayerfully made the decision, this girl having no idea who we were, no idea of a mother and a father, no idea of her future, that we would invest ourselves and commit to being mother, child, and family. Now, you would say, and I certainly might have thought this, you know, long, well, especially before studying it or experience it, that. You might not know that adoption, especially for an older child, is very traumatic, because everything that they've known, however little it is, it's all that they've known, and they're leaving it. But don't you understand, you're, you're leaving a life of, of, of poverty, of, of no opportunity, and you're going to the United States. You're going to a better place. Well, every relationship you've ever had, however transient it's been, you're leaving it. And yes, you're going from a place with no or very little nutritious food to abundance you're going from no medical care to one of the best systems in the world. You're going from no education, no opportunities to, to opportunities. You're going to pearly gates and gold streets. You're going to a better place. Does that sound familiar? The idea of simply going to a better place is a theory. That when the time comes for you or I, and it's dawned on me so much as I looked at the trauma that an orphan goes through, that's what we have. We say, oh, well, you're going to go to heaven. You get ready to die, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to a better place. I think that's going to sound just as hollow to you and my soul. If we're leaving here, everything we've known, everything we've loved, just for a better place. Is it about place? Well, the day came when we were to meet this little girl who's leaving everything she's ever known to come and meet a mother and father she's never met and really doesn't really have much concept of mother or father either. And you're supposed to go through a little process in which they're in, they're matriculated, and then they come out with this little presentation, but they were late as so we were waiting in silence in the room, and suddenly the silence of the room was punctured with, Mama! And she, no, just, Mama, 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 Baba! Because the little girl, what had happened? She had received a picture. She had received a picture of her family, and through all that was going on, through all that was going on in her own heart, the troubles of the servant, she focused on the picture of Mama. And when she got off the elevator, what she saw was Mama. Mama. Not stuff. Mama. And so, the next picture what she has is a Mama a mama and a baba, a mama who loves her, a mama who loves her more than she may ever know, a mama who will never leave her or forsake her, She has no concept what that is because every relationship that she's had has been transient and this and that. The idea that I will love you and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Right now, what we have the privilege and she has the opportunity to do is to dive in and explore the depth and the height and the length and the width of the love of her mama. And even my friends at work who want nothing to do with God, they say, hey, you know, that's, that's really pretty cool what you've done. Giving, choosing to give an orphan opportunity. Because if I admit it in itself, there's something that draws our heart. But this is why. It's because Sharon and I are far from the apex of what this is all about. Rather, we are only a pale hint of what the real father is like. And this is what Paul is exploding with as he goes to the next. What Paul is saying, what the book of Ephesians is all about. Next slide, please. It's for this reason I kneel before the Father. The Father from whom every family, family isn't our idea. Family is not a social construct. Family is the heart of God. Jesus Christ goes and he does battle with sin and death. And he emerges the victorious victor over sin and death. And what's the first thing he does with joy? He says, go and tell my brothers, I'm going to my father and to your father. And the great apostle Paul, as he's describing what the gospel is all about in the book of Romans, what he says, you don't want to know what it's all about, all the faith that was established by Abraham, through Christ, and now this covenant, it all leads to this, that the Holy Spirit will pour the love of Christ into your heart and lead you to cry out, Daddy. Abba, Father. The great apostle Paul says, you know what it's all about. Go on. It's not merely about God as creator. And that's why what Paul is doing here. He's taking us back in Ephesians 3 to the very purpose for our existence. It says that God made this world, and for what purpose? What's the purpose why God made this world? What's his purpose why he made you? The purpose of why he made you and me is to bring us and to create family, adopting us as family. And this is that crazy truth about that parable that Jesus told about this evil world. What will the Father do to those men who killed his son? The heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus answers back, I'm going to take the death that they put on me and I'm going to use that to redeem them and to make them my own children. That is the heart of our God for God so loves the world that he gave his own son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life because to all who receive him he gives the right to become children of God. Not mere creation. Not mere subjects. But children. Children. Christ Christ Dwelling in your heart. You in Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus does. That's what the Spirit does. He makes you part of God's family. Christ in you. The Spirit of God coming and inhabiting. God is talking about His desire and heart for an intimacy with you, His child. Far beyond. It dwarfs. As much as our adopted daughter has no concept of how much she is loved, we have no concept of the love of our God for us. And this is the invitation of Paul. He says, come and swim in it. You're never going to bump up and say, oh, that's it, I'm done. For he who did not spare his own son and gave him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us? all things. We have a God who says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for you to prosper. He is so in love with us and this is where when the scripture talks about the riches that are ours in Christ, it is not gold streets, pearly gates. I mean, let's face it, after a while, gold will get pretty common anyway. What it is This is God's heart, God's vision. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall see his face. What's going to make heaven heaven is that we're going to be with him. And the eyes that loved you before the world was. And they shall see his face. And it is going to stun us more than we can imagine to realize how awesome it's going to be to be in his presence and to realize that he himself is thrilled that we're in his. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. What Ephesians 3 is about, the mystery is why are we here? We are here because God's heart is a father heart of love who wants to create not just subjects or creatures, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, children, and family. That is what thrills the Lord. You, his joy. Isn't that crazy? Us, his joy. Us, his mystery. What I'd like to do as we celebrate the Lord Jesus, I I would conclude with this. Well, actually, I want to conclude two things. Number one, what we have that's of any of value, we have because of the Lord Jesus. And it's not things that we have. What we have that's of any of value, it's because we have Jesus himself. And this is the invitation, Christ in you, us in Christ, the intimacy of family that he gives to all who will receive him the God who is thrilled with you. But I would like to close with this one last point. The scripture says, Paul, say the next slide, rooted in Christ Jesus. Rooted in him. We are living in an extraordinary time. Perhaps everyone has been able to say that, but we can say that. We are living in a time of of great dissension, much of it earned. Division, much of it earned. And there is much that we need to learn and grow and repent of and be equipped to serve. There is much. But what I'm going to tell you, as I've lived alongside in this time is that as you read what's going on, as you listen to what's going on, there is a spirit that is inhabiting oftentimes both sides. And there is caricatures of truth and people that are being written and not coming from a place of wisdom and healthy seeking of wholeness, but rather a desire to defeat and to destroy And so when you get involved and you're listening, you you listen to anger and hostilities rather than wisdom and truth. And it's like people are vomiting emotionally and intellectually onto the page. And this side vomits and that side vomits. And we drink the vomit. And let me suggest, vomit is not nutritious. What are you to do? What are we to do? Are we just tune out and not be part of what needs to be in the solution. And this is where the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Heavenly Father is, come and be rooted in me. Come and be rooted in me. Let the joy of your Lord be your strength. As David, let your identity come from the Lord Jesus Christ, and as our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he enables us to recognize that the identity of every other person, we have never met a person who was not authored by the Lord Jesus. We have never met a person who was not loved by the Lord Jesus, and in the Lord Jesus, rooted in him. Then we will have the joy and the strength to be able to respond with repentance as necessary, with strength and courage as necessary. But feeding off of the vomit from the left or from the right will not strengthen your soul to be able to do that. Having your roots in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ will equip us to bear his fruit into a world that so desperately needs. I would like to close by praying again with you, Ephesians three, fourteen through 16. If you would like to close your eyes, if you would like to pray alone, let's close our hearts, let's kneel our hearts before the Lord Jesus and thank him for this wonderful truth. and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I invite the worship team to them. Hey, Jeffrey, on it. Amen.